Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Welcome to the COVID Ethics Series podcast, a conversation with leading experts about bioethical issues that have been exacerbated due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Brian Pilkington, and I teach bioethics at Seton Hall University and at the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. I moderate the COVID Ethics Series in cooperation with the IHS Library and IHS Student Life. This podcast is a spinoff collaboration with the IHS Library where we'll have the opportunity to go deep with the experts from our series. Thanks for joining our conversation. Uh, Today's session of the COVID ethics series is telling the stories behind COVID narrative and graphic medicine uh, sponsored by IHS Bioethics and, of course, our partners at the IHS Library. Uh, as COVID-19 continues to affect communities across the globe, we turn to the stories and depictions, graphic and narrative, behind COVID with the hope of gaining better understanding of its impact and how we may move forward ethically. It is a distinct pleasure to be with our panelists today. I'm a huge fan of all of their work. Uh, for those who tune in regularly, I'm Brian Pilkington. I teach ethics uh, and bioethics at uh, Seton Hall School of Health and Medical Sciences, College of Nursing, Philosophy Department, and also the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. Uh, my background is in philosophy, as many folks know, um, and one of the philosophical interlocutors uh, that I have been so taken with is Alistair McIntyre, who's a virtue ethicist. Uh, if you haven't bumped into McIntyre's stuff, it's worth checking out. McIntyre makes an important argument, uh, which has impacted me greatly, which relies on the idea that human lives have a narrative unity, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that to really understand what's going on with human beings, it's not only the case that we can hear about them or even read something on a medical chart, but we need to understand their stories. Uh, In light of this, you can tell why I'm so excited about today's panel. And I know many of you tuned in to our last session with Emma Goldberg, author of Life on the Line. And we had a great response to that. So we're even more excited to dive into narratives uh, and considerations of graphic medicine. We have a phenomenal panel uh, today. We have Cindy Smollett, Matthew Noe, and Allison Zuckerberg. And I'll introduce each of them, ask a few questions, and then toward the end of the session, we'll open it up to Q&A. 
You can tweet questions at us. You can email them, send them through the chat, um, and we will field those questions. So um, yes, thank you all for being here. Um, you can tell I'm very excited. So I'm gonna start uh, with narrative. And so I wanna uh, turn to our first panelist, uh, Sydney Smollett. Uh, Sydney is the program director at the Division of Narrative, Narrative Medicine, uh, the Department of Medical Humanities and Ethics at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. And I know a bunch of my, uh, at Seton Hall, a bunch of my OT colleagues were super pumped that we have another occupational therapist on, uh, on the panel. So Cindy, it's great to be here. <laughs> it's great that you are here. Thank you for joining us. So the first big question is what is narrative medicine from your perspective and why do you think it's valuable? All right, thanks for having me, Brian. It's such an honor to be here with Matthew and Allison also. Um, I have to give the official definition of narrative medicine first, uh, which is it's an intellectual and clinical discipline used to fortify healthcare with the capacity to skillful, skillfully receive the stories of ourselves and others. But to me, it's a practice. Um, I often call narrative medicine a tool. It's never the end goal. The goal is never narrative medicine. The goal is something else. And narrative medicine is a way to get to that goal, which is unique in its own facets. It's built, it, it, um, it itself is built on many other fields, such as philosophy, group dynamics, clinical care, all these fields put together to form narrative medicine as a way to do this work with other people to reach a goal, such as understanding patient stories, understanding yourself better, burnout. Oh, I just got my, I don't know how I got muted. <laughs> the goals are endless. So um, uh, the, there's three movements of narrative medicine which make it unique, and that's giving attention by listening or close reading or close looking, representation, which is uh, writing or drawing, and that helps perceive yourself and others, and affiliation, doing this work with other people. So um, it's valuable because it's it's different. You're not doing this work in a void. You're not just going home and journaling. You're not just, just reading poetry, and that's it. It's uh, about using the humanities to do more. And I've done the same thing and muted myself. So that's perfect. Uh, that's very helpful and leads <laughs> to my next question. Uh, it takes time uh, to understand a narrative. So in the fast paced world of healthcare, I mean, charts running around epic, this patient's room, that patient's room, can narrative medicine, I guess the negative question is, can narrative medicine keep up? And the positive framing is, um, if so, is it superior to other approaches? Well, I always start with, it's not, I can't, I mean, I'm a little biased. I'd like to think it's superior, but I can't actually claim it's superior because I think all approaches bring something and what is needed, um, you, you work back, like I'm, I'm an educator by trade. So you go to the end goal and then you work backwards design to how you meet the goal. So depending what your needs are, this may not make the most sense, but it um, it is so adaptable and expandable that um, it's the foundational theories of narrative medicine can be applied out in many ways into different formats. So um, it is a great approach. And one reason it works, I think, better, it's very it's a very indirect way to go deeper. So um, it's not just about 
how to be a listener, how to be, you know, it's, it's really getting uh, what's underneath that, but indirectly, like, you know, if you sit in a room with strangers and they're like, how do you feel today? It's hard to answer that question. So this is like a, a way to intellectually stimulate the mind with others and go kind of around uh, to the deeper foundational principles of handling uncertainty and ambiguity um, and engaging it. I love this fast paced question because, um, Yes, uh, narrative medicine takes time, but when you're with your patients, your time can be used more effectively with the skills that narrative medicine brings. So if you only have seven minutes with a patient, you can use those seven minutes better um, bringing these skills in. There's a lot of misperceptions that narrative medicine, you're just sitting around and writing like, like poems with your patients together. That would be great in a perfect world. And that is also a good thing, but that's not generally how it employs it. What it is, it's like a practice that helps your, your own self perceive the situation differently. It helps you listen differently. It helps you understand how your relationship to how you're asking the questions affects the answers, build, builds trust, builds compliance. With trust, there's up to three times less likely the patient has to return. So there's a lot of using time efficiently by employing these met methods, which just help to perceive differently. So without spending an extra minute, the clinician can establish a deeper rapport and open up the experience of another. So, but the time to learn the work is where it takes time, but you can do that not in the patient encounter. So when you're not on the clock um, and it's, and you could fit it in as little or as much as possible. We did a research study um, using narrative medicine for interprofessional team um, building in a very busy clinic in Harlem, and they only had 30 minutes a month, and the whole staff would attend from everyone from the cleaning staff, the front desk staff, the doctors, and all the other clinical staff. And in 30 minutes, once a month, change was still able to be to happen in, in the course of a year. So it um, doesn't have to take a lot. Of course, more is better, but it can be integrated in different ways um, into the day with, with your team, with yourself, with your peers. Um, I was a, I was finishing my occupational therapy clinic work during the pandemic. Uh, and I was in the clinic 10, 12 hours a day, commuting four hours a day, running my program full-time on the side. And I still ran a narrative medicine group, 10 PM every Wednesday night with clinicians in Canada on the West coast. And this group kept me sane. It kept me realizing what I was going through and, um, now my computer wants to install software. Let me just, okay. <laughs> um, and it kept me aware of what I was going through. And that awareness helped me when I was in the clinic and I was completely burnt out and exhausted, understand where my limits are and help bring that to the patients to bring more compassion. It's such a good answer. And you'll, uh, I appreciate your indulgence of an analytic philosopher's questions, right? Because it's like argument, objection, argument, objection that go through in my head. And excellent. So even in the fast paced world, no, there's no problem here because the kinds of skills that can be developed through engagement with narrative medicine and understanding narratives can be employed. Uh, more time is better, right? But yeah, um, helpfully, you've pointed us to where that the time really needs to be taken, which is in the training. We'll jump to that in one moment because I want to have you put your educator hat back on. But um, again, in the sort of normative philosopher realm, given a number of the benefits of narrative medicine that you just offered, um, do you think that there's an ethical imperative for narrative medicine to be practiced? So I, I tried to push you to say it was the best and you opened up and said, no, that it's a great approach. There are other approaches. 
So I don't want to say push you and make you say it has, it's better than something else, but um, is it necessary? Do you think all clinicians should practice, even if they're engaged in other approaches, should they use narrative medicine? Yes. <laughs> the host muted me this time. Okay. <laughs> yes. Although I may be biased um, again, <laughs> however, um, I think the because the approach is built on all fields, it's kind of a common ground um, where it in itself um, can open up. It can, it can it's a door opener, a perspective opener. So um, whatever the other approaches are, they can probably be part of narrative medicine because in narrative medicine, the real the foundation of the work is to use the humanities to create something and to do this work with people. So whether you're looking at, we use a lot with graphic medicine. I'm so excited Matthew's here. <laughs> Lots of poetry, films, movies, we can even use nature, like whatever it is. And then there's the like close perception of it. There's the representing, drawing, acting, whatever it is. And then it's the doing this with other people. So as a root, it, 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 I think that the foundation principles um, should be practiced. I think it's not simply enough to read stories um, with medical students or have nurses write and share narratives together. That's not enough um, because this work um, brings careful attention to the power and privilege in the text we read and write together, as well as the relational texts that we live, breathe, and create in our lives. So um, uh, this work reminds us that we're all vulnerable bodies on both sides of the professional relationship and helps us begin to identify our own frames of listening and what we bring to the clinical encounter. And it's different that a lot of focus is on understanding other stories, but this is understanding other stories through the self, which is why we do a lot with philosophy, self reflected on the other and how our, like we see ourselves via the other. And it's kind of this dynamic relation, relationality. Um, also, we, uh, our work helps with narrative humil humility, which um, in medicine extends the notion to all narratives a clinician encounters, not just of people defined as others, even people who share similar social positions. Um, every person must be approached with unique narrative humility, the, regardless of how much we think we know or don't know about another person, we have to be open and humble to what that person brings. And um, narrative medicine helps find comfort in the not knowing, uh, and that is our strength. So um, we, we, we love uncertainty questions and ambiguity because it's when you approach those encounters, it's so easy, especially as you're a clinical student, to try, you're immediately trying to fit somebody into something that makes sense so you know what to do. But then you miss the stuff that doesn't make sense. And we can only know what we bring to the encounter. We can't, we, no one is superhuman and all knowing. So this work helps, per, helps us be aware of what we're bringing. I bring this piece to students when I teach and I always ask, is the narrator a male or a female? And it's always 50-50 in the class. And I'm always like, why? What part of the text makes you think one way or another? And through this discussion, um, we come to like just the, our personal awareness of how we interpret things um, in the beginning. And I know the answer, but I don't give the answer because it's not about the answer, it's about the perception. So I think ethically, we have to practice this or we're always going to be more blinded. And the more I've been doing this work, I've been working at Columbia since 2008. I am constantly floored on how blinded, how blind I am on a daily basis entering any narrative. I can only imagine without this work, what it would be like, so. 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thank you. That, that's super helpful. Um, and I mean, the, from the outset, right, from a philosophical perspective, the epistemological approach that you take with narrative medicine seems like a great fit um, for dismantling certain power dynamics that have existed and sort of structural challenges that have existed in healthcare for a while. Um, so one quick question, then we're going to uh, jump to Matthew and we're going to move into the graphic area. So the quick question, because I know a bunch of my colleagues are on the line um, who are interested in narrative medicine, but maybe haven't spent as much time with it. So as an educator who runs one of the few, I mean, really big deal narrative medicine programs. Um, any tips, any recommendations for folks in our medical school, college of nursing and uh, school of health and medical sciences, our OTs, our uh, PAs, our PTs, just in, in a minute, some quick tips or recommendations if they're thinking about getting more into uh, reflections in narrative medicine. I think it's it's crucial because it's different than the didactical approaches we learn in school about active listening because it's experiential. And as a student, it is, I mean, even me with the narrative training was getting quite burned out in occupational therapy school because there was no room for this. And there was one lecture on narrative medicine, ironically, but it was how to listen to patients. But where is the self in this? Why are we doing this work? Where is the experience when I'm out in the clinic and seeing things and, and, and questioning my own role? Um, when I saw it rolled out in the medical school many years ago, um, the students met with preceptors once a week for an hour. And instead of just meeting and talking about what was going on, they met and actually did this work together as a way to get deeper into that discussion with less time. So implementing it in school is so beneficial, but it's an intellectually stimulating way to be integrated. So you're both like training perception and awareness of your patients while self-reflection. There's always these two sides to it. And I think that's where it's different and needs to be integrated. And it could be, like I said, we've done, we've done it with meetings with uh, interprofessional teams. Our meetings would take 15 minutes out of a meeting and do narrative work. Those next 45 minutes are more effective. So I know time is 
uh, the biggest problem, but by taking a small amount of effective time, it could lead to gain that help education, help students feel heard, seen, listened, and bring that to their patients, bring that to their work and their purpose. So um, that's my really quick spiel. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, a great pitch. And what I also heard was that meetings should be shorter, but I'm not sure if that was woven uh, or not. So uh, wonderful. Thank you, uh, Cindy. And we'll jump back in the Q&A. So we're now going to turn to Matthew No uh, to talk about graphic medicine. Uh, Matthew is um, the lead collection and knowledge management librarian at the Countway Library at Harvard Medical School. Matthew, thank you so much for being here um, and talking graphic medicine with us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so the first uh, question, similar to the, the narrative question is, did, for folks who are newer to graphic medicine, what is it from your perspective and why do you find it valuable? Yeah, the, the, the big question, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, uh, the, the textbook academic -y definition of graphic medicine is it's the intersection of the medium of comics and the discourse of healthcare. Um, you can get really far into the weeds with that definition. Trying to def trying to define what a comic is is like the third rail in comic studies. You touch it and like the, you you you're either going to die or spend your whole career dealing with it. Um, <laughs> and then you know the 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 scope of what we call healthcare is always changing. Um, so really, like uh, the field was coined. The term was coined by a, a physician, Dr. Ian Williams. Um, and then the, the field really started taking off when he met up with other physicians and with MK Serwick, whose background is in nursing. And so we're, we're, we're coming at this from a very um, traditionally trained biomedical perspective a lot of the time. Um, and there's been some, I could get into the weeds with this, but I'll just say quickly, there's been some question about whether it should be called graphic medicine or should it be graphic health? Um, and is that more encompassing and more inclusive? Um, some people I know do use that term. Um, I'll be honest, some of the resistance to changing it is, you know, inertia. People have started to know what graphic medicine is, and so to change it now is messy. So maybe I like to think of it as a chance for us to reclaim and, and reimagine what the, the, the boundaries of medicine as a term can be, um, to be more inclusive. Um, uh, if you're into public health, keep an eye out for a book on graphic public health coming out next year. Um, by Meredith Lee Vollmer, who is a, a public health uh, professional they, uh, out in Seattle, where they've done all kinds of comics about, you know, uh, they, there's a big one on the, the 1918 flu pandemic that became very, very relevant in the last couple of years. And so, and they do all kinds of clinical uh, cartooning um, there as well. But so why is it valuable for me? Um, I have the, the graphic medicine manifesto sitting here next to me um, because I always pull from uh, page two of this when I answer this question um, about why they called this a man, why this, why is it a manifesto? Um, and and uh, it, it's trying to challenge the dominant discourse in, in medicine and, and trying to disrupt this framing that we often have of there being a universal patient or a universal health experience. Um, and so there's a, a, a panel in here that reads, so too graphic medicine resists the notion of the universal patient and vividly represents multiple subjects with valid and at times conflicting points of view and experiences. And for me, the, the, the comics element here is really important for that conflicting points of view and multiple subjects because you can throw 
four or five different characters with wildly different views of the world into a comic and visually represent all of those views at the same time and leave it to the reader to, to, to pull on those strings and to decide which, uh, who, who's the more honest narrator of this story um, and, and how to decide which perspective you're actually gonna take to heart and listen to. And, and you can do that with prose as well and in film and everything else, but there's something about uh, the comic that gives the reader control, a little more control um, in a con more condensed way. Um, uh, time is, is a big element here. Um, thinking about if you're if you're not a big comics reader like time is a big deal in comics because we've we've got the the gutter separations between the panels um and an infinite amount of time can happen in between those panels um it could be half a second it could be 45 years and it's up to you as a reader uh, to kind of work with the creator to determine what's happening in that gap um i tweeted out a single word earlier because it came to mind when you were when Cindy was talking and I didn't want to forget, thinking about co-creation here. Um, the, for me, like the most exciting part of comics is this co-creating of the story. Um, again, you can do this with other mediums, but for me, it comes a lot easier in comics um, because I'm bringing my own perspectives, my own experiences to the book, but I also have to fill in these gaps. So it's not just the creators shoving whatever narrative at me, I'm also, um, reading into the images and reading into those gaps and determining what's happening alongside the the storyteller and, and that's something that you're doing every day in a in the clinic too like you're, you've got whatever story the patient or the patient's families is telling you and you've got your own assumptions you're bringing into this and so this is a comics offer an opportunity to practice this and 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 learn new ways of uh, co-creating that that story and encounter I'll stop before I overrun our time, but <laughs> no, 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 that was, that was wonderful. And it's funny, as you were thinking, I haven't yet checked Twitter to see if there are more questions. And I mean, I had not realized, I mean, I'm a uh, somewhat of a reader of comics. I have a brother who's a big fan is constantly persuading me um, to read more, but I had not thought about the interaction between uh, the pains and how much time could go. I mean, the co-creation is, that's, that's wonderful. Um, so now, you know, I want to ask you about the necessary and sufficient conditions for a comic and sort of tempt you into that third rail. Uh, no, no, I, I was, <laughs> we can geek out later. If you want to, you're welcome. But um, I was really interested given the great, so the great benefits of co-creation, the benefits of time, right? I mean, Cindy helpfully pointed us to um, the ability of folks engaged in narrative medicine to do it, um, to gain benefits from short bits, but I see that in, in comics too. So do you think that the practices of graphic medicine are necessary for someone to be a competent healthcare professional? Like, should everyone start doing this or try to do this? Mm. I, I mean, so I, like Cindy, I also am biased and also want to say yes. Um, and, and I can be, I'll, I'll be, I'll be frank with everyone. Like I am not what I would consider a, a competent cartoonist by any means, but since delving into graphic medicine, I do, I doodle a lot more. Um, I draw my own little mini comics about my experiences with chronic pain. And, and so it's, it's really a useful, it's a very useful tool, uh, to another tool in the toolbox kind of thing. It's a very, it's a useful tool for everyone to have and a chance to stretch your creativity and to stretch your um, way of thinking about the world. You know, what, how I depict, how I discuss pain 
like on Twitter, is very different from the visual metaphors I'm using to illustrate the experiences on paper. Um, and just sticking with that, like we, there's a lot of research into the validity and usefulness, questioning the usefulness of pain scales. Well, what if we were inviting people to draw what they're imagining and feeling of their pain and how they're conceptualizing that and thinking of that as a diagnostic tool, as a way for people to actually be heard, both patients and physicians. You know, we, we in graphic medicine um, ask medical students to draw what they're going through as a student all the time, both in undergraduate and graduate medical education, and sharing that experience out. Um, and Dr. Michael Green at uh, Penn State has, has done a lot of evaluation of the comics his students create, and they show like they have, there's one study where they evaluate these comics through the lens of like a horror kind of narrative. You know, there's this horror, horrifying element, medical education, where it's, you know, there's, there's, uh, I mean, I'll just to be blunt, there's burnout, there's gaslighting, there's hazing, there's all of these horrible things that happen. And comics offer another outlet for that, um, that maybe narrative doesn't always work for. Like sometimes there are things that are best expressed through work through images rather than words. Um, or maybe you need both together to convey the information. Um, you can juxtaposition, uh, juxta sorry. Um, like say you can, you can draw an image that's conveying one message and the words can be conveying a, a completely different message. And you can put those together and then you're asking the reader to decide, you know, which is true. Maybe they both are and both experiences are valid. But as a creator, like sometimes doing that for yourself helps you realize, oh, maybe the way I was thinking about this before with words was wrong and this image is telling the real story or the other way around and really help you figure out what the what experiences you're going through are like. So is it is it absolutely necessary and vital? I think some of the skills that comics creation and reading teach are necessary and vital, you know. You know, narrative competence and storytelling and the ability to juggle multiple potentially valid ideas at the same time. These are skills that are necessary that comics can help teach and enhance. I want to say comics are necessary, but I don't think I can say that you have to be a cartoonist to be to be a competent and successful healthcare professional. Uh, thank you. Uh, a really helpful answer. And yeah, I didn't, I'm glad you sort of didn't fall into the trap that I was I was laying there for you. So a quick answer, and then we're going to jump um, to Allison. Um, so for folks who want, who are interested, um, I mean, you, you sort of so helpfully explain the, the nuance and the depth that you can, uh, engage in a quicker time, um, with, uh, graphic medicine or graphic health. And I, this comes up in bioethics too, right? Is it healthcare ethics or bio? I mean, there, there's a lot, so there's so much we could talk about in terms of inclusion, but, uh, the quick, the quick question is any recommendations for either students um, of the health professions broadly, or of uh, health professions educators, mm. if they hear this, they think this is great, and they want to just start getting into or thinking about uh, graphic medicine. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, of course. And yeah, the it, medical humanities or health humanities, which one are you going to go with? Like that, that, that's, I find those distinctions and conversations really fascinating. So maybe there's another uh, conversation for everyone to have, but getting started with graphic medicine. Um, uh, so, I mean, the, my first go-to recommendation is always for both educators and students is to pick up the graphic medicine manifesto. It's kind of our like major text in the field. It's not terrible. It's not super long. Um, but it, it helps provide some framing and guidance and introduction to comics and healthcare. Um, and I did check your all's library does have it both in print and ebook form. So you can easily find it there. Um, and then, you know, uh, Linda Berry is a, a cartoonist and uh, visual thinker and researcher and all around amazing person. You should look her up. Um, but I always recommend her books for people who are just getting started with cartooning. Um, there's one for educator syllabus by Linda Berry is incredibly helpful. Um, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, the chat is now distracting me. Uh, Linda Berry is uh, with a Y and B-A-R. <laughs> um, um, but I'll throw links in there when I'm done talking. Um, but so uh, syllabus uh, is kind of her illustrated written syllabus for a course she teaches um, at UW-Madison. And you can pull exercises and, and uh, projects and things out of that as an educator that you can just drop into your classes as they are now. You don't have to set aside an entire semester for graphic medicine. You can start incorporating cartooning into your existing courses. Um, and then check out the graphic medicine website. Uh, that's really the one-stop shop for what us, what's going on in the field and finding book reviews and, and educational guidance and, and for our conference that comes up every year. Um, I think I saw Brian on the call. Uh, Brian Callender is one of the organizers for next year's conference. Um, uh, graphic Medicine 2022 is happening in July of, um, in Chicago. So I, you know, that's a great opportunity to come and present and learn and absorb what the field is about. Um, and we're much cheaper than most academic conferences. So that's my big pitch. Um, and yeah, uh, if I, I know Allison uh, from Ural's library is still on the call. So reach out to your library is my other final big thing. Um, they can help you find the, the, the titles you need to really get started. Um, sorry, longer answer than you probably wanted. And I'll, I'll stop there. No, that's super helpful. Um, and Allison's a superhero. So yes, I mean, the number of times 
I'll always go to the library. I tell students every day, if you want anything, just go to the library. Um, so excellent. Uh, thank you so much, Matthew. We're going to now uh, transition to our third uh, panelist, Allison Zuckerberg, who's a medical student at our uh, medical school, the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. Um, Allison uh, is also a poet. So um, I've asked if she will. So Allison, welcome. So good to have you here. Um, and we were hoping that uh, you might read some of your poetry and then I'll ask you some questions. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm happy to share uh, one of my works that I prepared uh, to suit the podcast format. I'm reading it aloud, but if you ever want to read it, um, it's on my website, which is on the page, or reread it at a later time. So um, for some context, um, I write poetry, and I prepared this one. Actually, I wrote it a couple years ago. I was in my first year of medical school at the time, and I was inspired by my 82-year-old donor uh, in the cadaver lab. So this is called The Passenger Side. How I would have liked to listen in before you were gone. Not just to the sounds that your sickness made, but those of your own creation, innovation. Each day you wrote compositions, 82 years worth of sheet work. I read it on your skin, muscle, and bone, but know that before there was something even more, life. A beating heart in your chest, a beating heart yet to arrest, but I missed it. And now, I must visualize what it sounded like. I asked questions under our surgical light. The first being, is this the feeling upon we must ride passenger side when cars keep crashing? As I'm dissecting, I'm asking, what made you smile, laugh, cry, your blood pressure fall, rise? Someone looks down on me, but can't put a single thing aside. We live Doppling lives. To these, I often stop listening. Allison, thank you. Um, you know, a wonderful representation of, uh, especially for folks who are newer to narrative medicine and graphic medicine and really thinking through stories within healthcare. Uh, I mean, such a fitting poem. So uh, the first, and I guess this is a bit of a shift to go from uh, a dramatic reading to yeah, answering a bunch of questions, but um, being a poet and a medical student, does this make you uh, a better medical student? Do you think it makes you a better doctor? Uh, yeah, I'll go through those questions. Um, like I, being a poet and medical student's interesting combination. Uh, a lot of it is just finding time in the day to write and perfect my craft. Um, my creative process has had to adapt somewhat to my schedule, um, but I think it's great. Um, I get inspired all the time by the things I see, by the people I meet, work with, and everything. Um, as of late, um, writing poetry has been uh, using the Notes app on my phone. Sometimes um, it's been like outside the OR waiting for my patient to be wheeled in and I get an idea. I think of a sentence. It's like the perfect last line of a poem or the opening line or a title. And I look at it later and I work on it more. I've worked on some longitudinally throughout my rotations. Uh, sometimes I'm on a long drive and I just turn on my voice recorder and I go, I start talking and then I listen to it later and that ends up on paper as well as a poem. 
um, before rotations, like these things were the sides of my notes during class. So uh, yeah, that, that's kind of been what it's like. Um, there's a small community at the med school that knows I like to write. They send me links for essay contests, magazines. I submit things, a lot of which are about patients, of course, because I have these experiences. I've been writing for as long as I remember. So I just keep going. Um, as part of uh, the psychiatry student interest group, I helped organize movie nights where we watched movies with themes in psychiatry and used the movie as a form media to discuss it further with uh, psychiatrists. And I've also written a lot of psychiatry pieces for magazines as well. Um, I And some like being a poet has helped me. It makes me a better medical student, I think. It will also make me a better doctor. Um, writing in general has allowed me to reflect on my own beliefs my thoughts experiences placed at some of the um, interfaces of the most profound experiences of the human condition like life death healing and suffering everything it's it's a way to connect with others i definitely relate to the collaborativeness of writing and um, it's a way to share ups and downs together and connect i always think of my writing as a success if i can get people to feel things or think more. It's helped me address burnout. Narrative medicine as a discipline has helped me craft this skill better. It's allowed me to better give voice for myself and my patients. Um, it's helped me pay closer attention to how patients word things, for example. So that and some, I love it and definitely um, share the passion on the call with others. Allison, thank you. That That's super helpful um, and I think just so nicely mirrors um, what Cindy and Matthew had expressed in terms of benefits for um, particular practitioners, persons engaged in this work, but also potential benefits for, or real benefits um, for the kinds of practices uh, that you engage in as a future physician. So um, thank you all. Uh, this has been super insightful. What we're gonna do now, we have a slew of questions coming in. There's a few in the chat. There's a bunch that have been emailed, tweeted, all sorts of stuff. So I'm going to pull these questions together and, um, and throw them out. For folks who sent questions in, if we don't get to your particular question, no worries. Feel free to email or tweet us later. Um, we'll keep the chat um, and we'll find answers. We also have a, uh, a resource page on, of course, our wonderful library website um, that will also share information there. So one of the questions uh, that we got uh, comes from the great Fred Hafferty, um, who sort of, and there's a few questions in this area. Um, and so I'll, I'll rephrase this a bit. Um, if folks who start to engage in, who are currently engaging in narrative medicine, narrative health, graphic medicine, graphic health, it sounds like from what you guys have described that it might change the way that you think um, about your interactions with others. So I guess it's really an invitation to comment on, um, that idea. Is that right? Does engaging in narrative um, change how you think um, and how you interact with other folks, especially in healthcare settings? So I'll start with Cindy and then jump to Matthew and Allison. So Cindy, does it change how you think? Yes. And that's what it does the most, I think. And um, I also wanted to mention, as I think this is important, that in narrative medicine, you don't have to be a writer or have a background in the humanities or anything. It's about your your experience with what you're seeing, hearing. Like So even as Matthew was talking about the comic on the page, when we use graphic medicine, we look at what's in the space, what's missing, what's drawn, what's not drawn, the lights, the darks, words used, not word used. 
it's about seeing N-words together. When I'm listening to Allison's poem, I'm hearing the the breaks and like where the speed of which she's reading it, the words used, where I'm thinking there's imagining there's commas and there's repetition, occasionally a rhyme, and I'm starting to notice different aspects. I'm not just listening to the story. I'm actually like diving into details from it, which in a patient encounter would would entice me to ask different questions. Like I noticed when you talked about this very common thing, you you used this word, which may not be common. I'm just giving a very general example. Can you tell me? And then that would be a clue to dive in a little further. Like when Matthew said, sometimes the words don't match the pictures. So because of the listening differently, I start to notice those things and it opens up opportunities to dive deeper. Excellent, thank you. Cues uh, up you, Matthew. Thoughts on how um, graphic medicine, graphic health, changing your thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Cindy hit the, the ball out of the park with that answer, but I mean, it, it um, so I mean, I talk a lot when I, when I'm, pitching graphic medicine people that I was never primarily like the most visual person before I started really getting into comics. Like I am always a words first kind of reader and a words first kind of um, expressor of things. Like it took me far longer than everyone else my age to jump on Instagram as an example, because I was just like, why? Um, but so it, it really, comics gave me a better like it increases my willingness to engage with photos. It increases, you know, my willingness to think visually and, and the reader, your ability to parse out the meanings of an image. Um, in libraries, we talk a lot about, you know, information literacy and with mo so much information is presented visually now um, that, you know, having a foundation and how to read an image um, is, is vital. It's not like you you almost need a minor art background now to process all the information thrown around on social media and in public health messaging and comics can offer us a way to think about that um, and to, to, to reframe, um, yes. Excellent, thank you. Uh, Allison, I mean, you mentioned that you've been a, a writer, I think you said for as, as long as you can remember, you've been a writer for a while. Um, so any thoughts on sort of being engaged in this kind of thinking for a long time? Yeah, um, I think it helped me. Um, it, it's kind of helped me place like where I am in terms of my experiences. I don't forget that I'm like the player. I'm the main character, so to speak. And um, it, it helps me when I talk to patients, colleagues, others, um, kind of what Cindy mentioned earlier in the call about like being able to reflect on that and realizing what you bring to the table changes things. Like if I go into a patient encounter, ask my questions and someone else goes in, it could be a completely different encounter, even if they were the same exact words, like how they're delivered. It isn't just about writing, it's about listening and hearing. And uh, you also don't have to be a writer to consider these questions at all. Uh, art exists to be produced and consumed, and there's as good a role in both, I think. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Excellent, thank you very much. Um, we're gonna jump to some other questions, but for folks, um, checking out the chat. We have some wonderful resources popping up and also um, some requests for further engagement with narrative uh, medicine. So um, do feel free to pop in and help out as you can. So we've had a couple of questions, um, both in the chat and coming through um, Twitter um, and, uh, and emails that are, uh, I think, asking for specific guidance relative to graphic and narrative medicine's benefits for engaging particular issues in healthcare. Uh, so Emily Southerton, um, whose work is in chaplaincy, asks about um, the benefits for narrative and graphic medicine, specifically on patient readmission, giving the broad ethical sensitivity to this. And uh, another one of our wonderful librarians, uh, Lisa Rose Wilds, asks about narrative medicine's connection to narrative therapy um, and dementia memory, memory loss. So uh, philosophers aren't that creative. I'll run through the same order or anyone can jump in if you like. Um, Cindy, anything on readmission or specific um, dementia memory loss um, sort of benefits connected to narrative medicine? I mean, each of those questions are lengthy conversations, which is why I didn't just chat response. <laughs> I saw happy to discuss further after this. I'm about to put my email in the chat. But um, narrative therapy first is very similar to narrative medicine, and they can go hand in hand. And actually, there is a narrative therapy course within narrative medicine. But narrative medicine is not only narrative therapy. I'd say that's just like a part of it, um, because not everyone coming to a narrative medicine session wants therapy. So it's, we really have these like ethical principles to stay strictly on the work of the text um, because it guides the session and helps come away from the therapy. Now, if you're using it for therapy, then that's okay too. Then you're in a, you're in a different context. You're using the narrative medicine as a tool to meet those needs. As far as the readmissions, my perspective on this is it's like a couple steps removed. So the narrative medicine helps perceive and listen differently, which then helps perceive the patient dyadic relationship differently, which then develops trust and the patient feels seen. And then um, the patient is, you are hearing the patient differently. And since 80% of diagnoses are made through the story, um, you're more likely to listen differently and get to the right answer right answer, if that's a thing, quicker. <laughs> um, and then therefore down the line, uh, increase trust and possibly reduce readmissions. I, I, a lot of Lisa Sanders work inspired me early on when I was getting to, into narrative medicine about the patient story and 
um, all the stats, like you're three times less likely to be sued um, if you feel heard as a patient, because as a clinician, you don't have the answer all the time. I mean, you rarely have the answer. You have a lot of questions, but if the, the especially with difficult patients is where the narrative medicine really comes into play because the ones quote, you know, checked off as difficult in the system. If you can find where you're responding to them and how you're affecting this discussion, you could very quickly get beyond that and then learn what's really going on. I just like a really light definition, <laughs> light answer of the question, but my quick attempt. <laughs> oh, super helpful. Super helpful. Thank you. Um, Matthew, turning the question to you, are there, whether it's dementia, readmission, um, any particular um, issues, ethical challenges broadly within health and healthcare that you think or have found graphic medicine to be especially beneficial for? So I mean, this is one of those things we talk about a lot in graphic medicine. Um, we've had um, therapy comes up a lot in graphic medicine. We've had people concerned about um, non, not, as a librarian, I've had people concerned about my discussing like using comics as a therapeutic tool, like with bibliotherapy, for example. Um, and I can drop some links to some books that are very relevant to this in the chat when I'm done. Um, but like, so we talk uh, mental health and I, I can say that mental health broadly and cancer broadly are kind of the two topics that dominate uh, the published comics uh, in graphic medicine generally. Um, COVID is likely to be catching up depending on how you define published. Um, we've got a couple of books called COVID Chronicles out there, like all kinds of stories about, you know, patient and practitioner experiences with COVID. Um, but I don't know that I don't think there's a specific narrow field that this is most helpful to. Um, it, it's, it, yeah, I've lost my train of thought for answering that question now that I held up that book. But I did, there was another question you mentioned, um, so specifically about chaplaincy. Um, and I did wanna note that, I'll drop this link in the chat too, but we do have a, a small like liaison program with graphic medicine where we actually have these more specific fields like chaplaincy and art therapy and disability studies, where we have we work with an expert in that field who uses comics, and we try to point people in their direction so they can answer this narrow question of how how can I make use of comics in my specific field? Um, and chaplaincy has been one of the most popular of those uh, so far. So I'll drop that in the chat. Uh, Kurt Schaefer, he's a, a cartoonist and chaplain in uh, White River Junction, Vermont. Um, he, he, he's fantastic and does a lot with cartooning and, and graphic health. So I'll drop that in there. Excellent. Thank you. And yeah, everyone keep checking out the chat. Um, we have a bunch of resources that are, um, are showing up there and we will keep these and put on, on our resource page. Um, okay. So now turning to, uh, Allison sort of in this general question, um, are there any particular issues and I, take this where you want. I don't want to sort of dig in too deeply, but um, are there any particular health issues, health ethics issues where you have found your poetry especially helpful or especially relevant? Any sort of challenges you've come across um, that, yeah, that you said, no, that this really has worked well? Yeah, um, besides uh, the ones that were like chatting in about the problem of readmission, uh, there's also like leaving against medical advice in the hospital or like AMA, which could then lead to readmissions because the person who left didn't get all the care they really did need. 
I've, I've found that being a good listener through like our practicing writing narrative medicine, it can help prevent these people from leaving. Um, ideally before someone leaves, they, someone goes and talks to them and tries to convince them not to leave before they sign their papers and go. Um, people often leave because they don't feel they were heard or their, their care was addressed properly. So there, there's that. Um, certain disease states as well, like the dementia or memory loss are extremely challenging to patients and their families. Um, having reflected on and written about some of these things, like I, I even once wrote a poem about Parkinson's disease, it's helped me think about it in a new way. And um, being able to like share that with the patient sometimes is helpful. Sometimes offering um, something similar to narrative therapy, like telling them maybe you want to try journaling about this, um, you can talk to me about this, is, is helpful as well as a suggestion. Um, I think in general, like any sort of issue could potentially be helped with, um, with these perspectives, learning how to like think through them differently. Um, it allows us to open our minds and have just new creative solutions. Allison, th uh, thank you very much. Uh Super helpful. So we, um, unfortunately, we, we've got a few minutes left, um, but we're sort of running short on time. I think we could talk about any of these topics for, for so long. Um, another set of questions we've had coming in, um, and so clearly this is, a, I think, kudos to all of our speakers. People are asking, okay, this sounds, folks who had been less immersed, this sounds great. What do we do to promote graphic medicine, graphic health, narrative medicine, narrative health in our own institutions? Um, in our own courses, sort of, so uh, no good deed goes unpunished. So now I think the question is sort of help. How do folks do this? And this is coming from uh, some library colleagues, uh, a couple of different of the prof uh, professors at uh, my institution and others. So if someone wants to start doing more um, narrative medicine, more reflection through graphic medicine, um, sort of any guidance that could be offered, we'll sort of wrap up with this question. And then if we have time, I'll just get a final thought from each of you. So um, maybe we'll do this first question with Cindy and Matthew, and then we'll run through final thoughts. So Cindy, uh, how do you promote narrative medicine um, within an institution? Well, they're get training or get help is <laughs> my quick answer. We have programs ranging from my certificate program that I run. We have a full master's program in this field. Don't go in with no knowledge because if it fails the first time, it um, it, then it'll, it's hard to recover. So, or we have hundreds of trained facilitators that we hire regularly, teach for us, have our master's degree, have our certificate degree. And they often, they, we love to consult. I consult with a lot of program planning with institutions. And if you want someone to come in to do the work for you, then you can hire um, a facilitator to do that as well. If you're not sure, uh, feel free to just reach out to me and consult and we'll help see where you're at, what your goals are, what you want to do, how it makes sense, who to roll it out with, how to roll it out, what tools you need to roll it, roll it out. And we can talk through all of that. I think that's the best. So go get training, bring someone in as a training, but if you're not sure, consult with me first. <laughs> Excellent. Always good to have somebody call Cindy, right, is the upshot. Um, yes, wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Matthew, similar question for uh, graphic health, graphic medicine. Yeah, so I mean, similar answer is, uh, it, or for me, it's kind of like, what's the scope of what you're trying to do? Uh, wh wh where are you starting? Like, uh, and do you, uh, my library brain is coming from this, do you have a champion or champions in your institution already willing to work on this? Um, so it's like, okay, how, how big 
of an interest is there? Like, are you starting with a single department trying to integrate, you know, some, some graphic narrative health into one group? Great. You can probably handle one department on your own as an individual if you've got the training or bring in someone to do the training. If we're talking full scale institution or entire program, then you're going to need some more champions voices to come in. Like there's an arts and uh, humanities initiative here at Harvard Medical School. So like if you have something like that and work with with that team, they've got a built in network already. Um, and my big plug is always if you're at an institution with a library, get your librarians on board, um, not just so that we can buy the things, but often we're willing to become, you know, knowledgeable and have expertise in these areas and help you with, you know, the, the event planning and the course training and the syllabus generation and all like we're happy to be involved in every step of the, the pedagogical process. Um, so just always, always go to your library people. Excellent. Thank you. And um, yeah, a welcome comment, um, especially at our institution, because yeah, so much runs through the library. I don't think anything would run um, without excellent librarians like Allison. So very last question. Um, we only have two minutes left. So quickly, um, a single thought, if possible, in a line to leave uh, our audience with. Um, Allison, we'll start with you, then go to Cindy and wrap up with Matthew. So Allison, a single thought for our audience. Sure. Um, I, I don't know, like everything's been really great so far. Um, I, I would just take from this, like see um, where um, you could advance yourself or your goals through like a new way through um, either narrative or graphic medicine. Try to envision that for yourself from this call. And there's definitely the help out there if you uh, want it along the way, if you want that support. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Cindy. Come try it out. Come to our free virtual sessions. I put in the chat and try it. Our quote lately we've been uh, we've borrowed from the matrix is that unfortunately no one can be told what narrative medicine is. You have to see it for yourself. So come experience it and then think about how it can be used. But keep an open mind. That's more about questions and we're about open mind, not answers, experiences. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. And Matthew, wrap us up. Wrap us up. Uh, here, I'll, I'll end very simply with my like my growing catchphrase lately um be kind do good and read comics there we go excellent thank you all so much um this has been such an insightful session and given the chats with everything else that's been blowing up um so many folks uh either learned a ton or now are hooked right and they're interested in in the next um yeah in doing more narrative and graphic medicine so even my puppy is super excited so this is this is well done well done Thank you for listening to this episode of the COVID Ethics Series podcast. Be sure to check out video versions of our episodes online at library.shu.edu slash COVID Ethics. Follow the show on Twitter at Shu Bioethics and our moderator, me, at BCP Ethics. And if you're listening to this show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe and leave a review. If there's a topic you'd like to see discussed in the future, let us know. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.